and uh, I love getting to be with you guys. I actually met Scott, um, like maybe some of you, but my kids were going to school across the street, and I wandered over here and had some coffee, and then, um, as you know, Scott talks. His other gift is talking. It's food and talking, so he's a great pastor. So, <laughs> But I, I really I enjoy, I love getting to be with you, and I really love that knowing that his family gets to get a little bit of rest, get recharged, get some sun, bless you, and uh, be together. So praying for them, pray they be energized and encouraged and having a good time in Cancun. So that's, that's that. So today, um, I talk with Scott a lot about, um, so in my vocational work, I work with churches and pastors. So that was part of how Scott and I kind of got together. And um, talk with Scott a lot about the series that you guys are in and what's going on. So we've been talking a lot about Acts, and when he asked me to speak, he always says, well, you can talk about whatever you want. And I say, well, <laughs> why don't you, can we like rein it in a little bit? So we try, I try to get it relevant with where you guys are currently, but also with what I'm kind of thinking through myself. So today we're going to get into Acts. Um, it's not going to be a, a new section, we're actually going to go backwards. But the topic is why suffering, why suffering? So I, I d don't know how many of you are hoping for like a fun spring break message, <laughs> but, but here's the thing, here's the thing. The, res the response even to the message today kind of proves this point that I had been feeling, that I've been thinking about, which is that Suffering is one of those really interesting things that is universally understood. Isn't that true? There's not a person in this room who gets to be exempt from pain and suffering, from loss, from frustration, from sadness. None of us get to avoid those things in life. It's kind of one of those crazy realities of life that maybe we would like to be different, but it just, it is the reality. And maybe because of my work with church and pastors and et cetera, I feel even more immersed in this topic simply because the last few years, as we know, have been really difficult uh, for lots of people. It's also been difficult for ministers. So maybe that's why maybe I'm asking questions like why, why is this happening, et cetera. I don't know. But this is what we're doing today, suffering. So... Sorry, like I said, I'm a little, I've, I've struggled with how to even start this because of the fact that it's so well understood already, and also because we have kind of such a flinch to it, don't we? Just like, ooh, I don't really want to talk about that today. I don't really want to talk about the pain and trauma and different things in my life, and I don't, I definitely am not going to stand up here and pretend like I'm going to give you some fix or silver bullet and get it all fixed, but I do think, I do think, and I will say, it, for whatever reason, is an imperative piece of our faith. It's an imperative piece of our journey with Jesus, and so we are going to get into it, right? We can't avoid these things just because they're difficult or troublesome, etc. It's an unfortunate reality of the world we live in, as I mentioned. I actually remember one of the first lessons that I got in this. Um, I remember it very clearly. I was seven, and 
I think I was seven, and I was seven. I was in the middle of a, a rheumatoid flare-up, so that's a very painful thing, and I'd been in it for a while, but I ended up in a children's hospital in Los Angeles, and I think I was there for about two weeks, and there was a couple different things going on in this time in my own life. So the one thing at the hospital was, be because they didn't, they, they were doing a lot of like, ex I say experimenting, it's not, that, it's not that like glamorous, but because they don't know a ton about it, they were trying to understand. So I have this, my first like really vivid memory is being in the hospital and doctors moving my joints around through ranges of motion trying to understand oh, well, d does this hurt? Is this painful? And I can just tell you that I still remember that moment because it was so crazy painful. Just, just like being on a table and having a bunch of, d and I, st I think I still have probably some like PTSD about going into offices now because of that incident. But the second thing that was going on was I was sharing a room with a young man who I think was also six or seven but he had a brain tumor. And, um, and the, the memory I have of him, which is also equally clear, is that this, this kid was so happy. And I have this memory of him and I like watching cartoons together and talking, and something hit me that in the, in the midst of being in this hospital, which was away from the, my family and it was lonely, et cetera, which was set apart, in the midst of that, I meet this young man who, in his own pain and his own diagnosis of brain cancer, which I believe was probably terminal for him, I don't even know how things ended up for him, but he was so happy. And it struck me even to this day where I just, I think in that moment I realized like, huh, so I, I can choose how to respond even in the midst of an awful situation. I could be really upset about this, which I think at seven I probably wanted to be, or I can try and have a good time. And we ate tapioca pudding and watched cartoons together and we just made the best of it. And that did something to me. So that was maybe one of the first lessons I really remember in this topic. And, and like I said, that has stuck with me. So however, however you wanna see that situation, right? whatever, but when I look at it, I go, I, I think, God, you were working through that young man. You taught me something I needed to know because suffering does have a purpose. It does have a purpose. Pain does move us. If you've ever put your hand on a hot stove, what did you do? Right. If you've ever been in a painful situation, did you just keep going back to it, or did you try to work some? Did you try to work it out, right? C.S. Lewis, um, in his book *The Problem of Pain*, has this amazing quote: "Suffering is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world." Suffering is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world, and the truth is that you can read that and go, "Oh yeah, the the world needs to wake up and." everyone else needs to understand, but the truth is we also need to be woken up sometimes and remember like what's going on around us, what's actually going on, what the purpose of these things are. And Lewis, I think Lewis knew, if you've ever read that book, it's excellent, um, but he knew something that about suffering, that suffering like moves us to deal with 
bigger questions in life. Why is there so much pain in the world, right? Why are there kids that are going hungry right now? Why are there people dying? What the heck's going on with the healthcare system? Like, if you've ever had to call an insurance company, that's suffering. <laughs> Disease, poverty, hunger, racism, classism, all of the isms, all these things. This is, again, this is kind of the reality we live in. And I, I bet tons of money, I bet all of Scott's money, that <laughs> if, we, <laughs> if we were to go around the room, right, we could share and swap stories of these realities in our life. Isn't that true? Hey, tell me about that time for you. Oh, tell me about that time for you. Tell me about your story from when you were seven. And we could go back and forth because, as I said, it's so universal. No one escapes from this. But I do believe, like I said, suffering, pain, grief, trauma, loss, all of it have incredible purpose in our life, especially as we follow the footsteps of Christ. So Dallas Willard, he said, suffering is not an accident, but a necessity. It is not a random event, but a planned and purposed one, not a punishment, but a means of grace. He said that in The Divine Conspiracy, also awesome book. Suffering, not an accident, necessity, not a random event, but planned and purpose, not a punishment, but a means of grace. Powerful words. So I, that's that's the intro. <laughs> That's why we're doing what we're doing. Let's pray together real quick before we really get into it. Lord, uh, we, I stand on super, super hollow ground, even having the audacity to talk about pain and suffering, something you understand so infinitely more than we ever could. But, but we wade into it today. We pray, God, you be with us, go before us. I pray, God, for um, the words uh, I pray for, the way that I feel like you have led this specific message, but we also lift up today, just as one local church, we lift up the church to you, Jesus. We say, God, do, do what you can do in it, have your way, and we, we pray for the millions of brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering today, um, who are in unbelievable situations. Um, God, be with them, comfort them, empower them, Jesus. And um, let us remember, God, that um, there are those who are having an incredibly difficult day today. Thank you that you see them, Jesus. In your name we pray. So, uh, as I mentioned, I know you're in Acts I want to go back to Acts chapter 9, so I want to jump backwards a little bit. And actually, this is, um, I'm, we're just going to deal with two verses from the book of Acts, a ton of verses elsewhere, but two verses in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9, do you remember what happened in Acts 9? Road to Damascus. Saul becomes Paul, blinded by the light, you know. Um, so Acts chapter 9, so Paul, um, Paul's been met on the road already, so he's been met on the road, and um, Jesus has confronted him, and then Jesus goes ahead and talks to this guy, Ananias. Um, is it Anna? Yeah, Ananias. So Jesus is talking to Ananias now, and he says to him, this man 
Paul, is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles, their kings, and before the people of Israel. And he says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, before, I, I want to preface this so you don't check out on me. I'm not about to give you a sermon on why you should suffer all the more because of Christ. I'm not going to say go out and willingly throw yourself into pain and discomfort. And, but I do, I do think we should talk about it. Crazy that Jesus says, I'll show him how much he has to suffer for my name, right? Think of all the things he could have said. I'll show him all the churches he's going to build. I'll show him all of the amazing people he's going to meet. I'll show him, I'll talk to him about Barnabas. Barnabas is a nice dude. He's going to get to meet him. Could have done all these things, but he says, I'm going to do it this way. And was that in response to how much Paul had made the church suffer? Like, was it because of that? Was, it some, was something else going on? Like, we have a lot of questions. But Jesus says, I'll show him how much you must suffer for my name. And as you know, because you've been going through Acts, Paul has paid a price for the expansion of the church. Isn't that true? And he, at some point, lists out everything that has happened to him. And it's a lengthy list. It's, it's not enviable. So, again, we go back to why suffering? Why this particular angle? Why, why would Jesus give Paul this heads up? And, again, I, I, I don't have this all figured out, but there are, a few, there are three things that I specifically am going to share with you today, the first of which being that I do believe suffering expands faith. Suffering expands faith. So, um, I wasn't sure if I was going to do this for a lot of reasons, including that you might get spit on you. But suffering expands faith. So what that doesn't mean is like you don't have to suffer to be saved, right? We understand that from the Bible. You don't have to suffer to be saved. So when you're saved, now we also know that all metaphors fall short of explaining the totality of God, don't we? Right? So don't, like, don't go, just be careful. But when you're saved, right, you're, we would look at this balloon and say, like, that balloon's full. Like, that balloon's full of air. It's good. We could use it in a celebration. But in God, I, th I think God also, like, looks at the balloon. And in the metaphor, there's still a lot of room to expand, isn't there? There's still a lot of room to go before this thing pops. Now, there's some other metaphor about God knowing how far to go before you pop. But for today... I just bring this up to, to keep that in mind. Suffering expands our faith. Oh. <laughs> now there's spit. Anyway, geographically and individually, okay, suffering expands our faith. We see that in the book of Acts, okay? So in the book of Acts, the church is growing immensely. Isn't that true? Right now you guys are 17, 18, right? 17, 18. So 17 is story after story of the different spaces Paul is going to implanting, encouraging, empowering. So he's bouncing around, the church is expanding, and yet that is coming at a great cost, isn't it? 
So it's costing a lot of people a lot for that expansion to happen. But the faith itself is expanding geographically, right? But it also happens to us personally. Suffering expands faith. So I want to, some of this language comes from Matthew 16, 18. If you want to turn there, write that down. But check this out. So Jesus, as he's talking, he's with the disciples. In 16, 18, he says this amazing thing to, to them. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So with this idea of expansion in your mind, and Jesus saying, I will build my church, that word build is very much lends itself to, uh, if you're building a house, it'd be like, I'm building a house, brick by brick, step by step, to make a strong and sturdy home. If you're talking about people, that word is like to edify. I will build up to make strong and sturdy people, strong and sturdy church. So Jesus says, I'm going to build the church. So he so clearly states his intention, what he's going to do. I'm going on this building project. And he also identifies that there will be opposition. Do you see both those things? The very gates of hell will not overcome it. Well, he wouldn't have told them that if that wasn't going to be a problem. So I'm going to, I'm going to build, and there will be trouble. Now that trouble, right, comes because there are very... There are very real forces that do not want the faith to expand, do not want to see people growing in faith, do not want to see people freed and healthy and walking in the light. So Jesus knew there'd be opposition, but he also already told us that he will be building. John 16, 33 says, In this world you will have trouble, but be encouraged because I have overcome the world. That's Jesus talking, you're going to have trouble. It's going to happen, right? That's, be, that's in part why I can say, hey, we're talking about suffering today, and there's like a collective like, oh, man, really? You don't want to talk about how God wants us to be rich and happy? Well, Romans 5.35 says this, We glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So we glory in these suffering because we understand that it expands our faith. We grow more into Christ's likeness, people of character, people of perseverance, a resilient people, right? That happening's that, ha that, happening. that happens through this process. So suffering expands our faith. It builds these things. Listen to this um, reality actually highlighted in Numbers, or Deuteronomy, I'm sorry. In Numbers, the Jews were taken through the wilderness for 40 years. You remember that whole process? The Israelites wandering here and there, and there's so many problems, and there's, you know, talk about suffering and pain, etc. But in Deuteronomy, Moses is talking about the things that happened. He's giving, like, history. And in Deuteronomy 8.3, where to go? Here we go. Deuteronomy 8.3, Moses is explaining the purpose behind this journey. 
And he says this, he says, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So he says, he says, you want to know why we did that? It was so that you could learn to trust me, essentially, to learn that man does not live on bread alone. Remember when they were so upset about the manna? I need more manna. I haven't had Chick-fil-A for three years out here in the wilderness. God's like, all right, I'm going to send you quail. So many. <laughs> to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This painful season in their lives expanded their faith. It humbled them and allowed them to see, Jesus, to see God for who he really is. Do you see that? So that, that's one example what about those seasons in your life, right, in my life? Even as I share that with you, man, they had a rough 40 years, but it was purposed. I think about this season, I shared about this last time I was here because it was even more fresh, but this season recently, my daughter got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. I don't even remember, I don't really even remember much from the day it happened till like, it was, it was like right at the beginning of the year, so it was like January 1st to like the summer because it's just all a woof, right? And it was just, we were just trying to figure out how, how do we do this? How do we, what are we supposed to do? How do we, again, talk about insurance companies. I could get on a soapbox, but all those things, but it, it did expand our faith. It did expand our faith. And I got to tell you, my daughter's not here, so I can tell you this. She told us the other day, or a few weeks ago, she said, I wouldn't trade diabetes because it has challenged me in my faith, and it's made me more confident talking to others. Come on. She's only 11. Come on. It expands faith. And this dovetails really nicely into my next point, which is suffering sanctifies us. Suffering sanctifies us. And this is maybe one that we even flinch more from. Do I want that? So sanctification, if you don't know, is like a high-dollar church word that we use. But I want to I make it very accessible. Sanctification, the generic meaning of this word, is the state of proper functioning the state of proper functioning. So to sanctify someone or something is to set that person or thing apart for the use intended by its designer. Hold on, come on now. Intended by its designer. So we would say a pen is sanctified when it's being used as a pen. Eyeglasses are sanctified when they're being used to see. A balloon is sanctified when it's made to balloon, whatever that is. In theological terms, things are sanctified when they are used for the purpose God intends. And a human being is sanctified, therefore, when he or she lives according to God's design and purpose. So tell me, church, why is it that suffering seems to supercharge the sanctification process, doesn't it? Seems to supercharge this process where we are formed more into the people that God intended us to be. 
That's what sanctification means. And it's a process. Maybe because it forces us to deal with our sin and pain and, and trouble. Maybe it forces us to ask big questions. Um, right? I remember when Lily was diagnosed, I had a conversation with my mother-in-law, and we just both cried and said, how much more can, like, how much more can we take? How, what, what are we supposed to do? Forces us to ask those questions, right? Oftentimes, we pray more. Oftentimes, we get back into church more. Oftentimes, we lean into our friends more, and we say, hey, man, I'm having some trouble. Can you help me? Right? A lot of the things we should have, should have, I really don't like that word. I'm sorry I said it. A lot of things we could have been doing anyway, but for whatever reason, these moments in our life move us to walk in those ways as we are formed more into the people that God intended us to be. So these are real situations that happen in our life. Isaiah 64, 8 says, O Lord, you are our father. We're the clay. You're the potter, and we're all the work of your hands. Isn't there a song about that, like a potter and a clay? I think it's really good. I can't remember it, though. But, man, isn't that the picture? If you've ever, um, if you've ever had the beautiful opportunity to, to make some art, Right? When you throw that hunk of clay on the wheel, that clay doesn't tell you what it's going to be. Right? You tell that clay, I'm about to make you a bowl. <laughs> right? And then you work on it. You go, I'm about to make you a cup. And then you work on it. Whatever, whatever you say, a plate, whatever. But the potter tells the clay, what it's going to be. The potter decides what the use of the clay is going to be. The potter is responsible for the form the, the clay takes, right? So this is actually really an interesting point. <laughs> Not because I said it, but because at, if you go back to the, your Acts passage, Acts 9, 15, and 16, when God, when Jesus is saying Paul is my chosen instrument. That's a really special saying that God doesn't say that much. But that word instrument is the word that they use for like vessel or container. So the, the master potter is saying to Ananias, Ananias, Paul is my chosen vessel for this specific project just an amazing point right that that that's the language used and then we jump to isaiah this is the language here and then we looked at sanctification and sanctification is the process of being being formed into what you're intended to be by the designer romans 8 28 which we know well it says what i know you guys know it we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. That was Paul, the chosen container who wrote those words, right? Paul wrote those words in Romans because he knew 
God the potter will work all things together for good. But look at verse 29. He foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Formed, right? The potter is forming us through these processes. Conformed to look like Christ, that process. Sanctified towards intended purpose. And what is our purpose? Sorry, this is, this is where I get excited about suffering. What is our purpose? The Westminster Shorter Catechism, those are more high-dollar church words, asks this question, right? What is the chief end of man? The answer, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. 1 Corinthians 10.31, this might be Scott's life verse, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. If you've ever had lunch with Scott, come on now. It's, it's holy ground. Whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. What's the purpose of all of this? It's to glorify God. Through the way we live our lives, through the way we deal with adversity, suffering, pain, loss, grief, etc., all of it, on some level, Right? How we respond to these things can bring glory to God. And this is my last point, and you've got to stick with me on this one. Suffering makes us savory. Suffering makes us savory. So in the Old Testament, the sacrifices and offerings were made to the Lord by fire. And these became, and so you would take your offering, you'd take your sacrifice, you'd plop that buddy on the altar, light it up. And what you read over and over again is it says the sacrifice made by fire and there was an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Remember that, that language? Pleasing to the Lord. And guys, when you have the barbecue on, right, and you're making like some really good burgers or a steak or something, it smells so good. Like sometimes my neighbors do that and I'm like, oh, they got to invite me over. But it smells so, so this aroma pleasing to the Lord. Now, as you know, we don't live in that system anymore, thank the Lord, because you'd be busy all the time. So we don't live in that system anymore, but we live now with Jesus as our high priest, and he has invited us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. And that language comes a lot from Romans 12, 1 and 2. It also comes from Peter, who talks about us being a holy priesthood, talks about us being living stones built into a home. Like, there's some of this language. But in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And, the, and you guys know ch verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. There is a lot of those words again. Conformed, transformed, expanded, sanctified. I urge you, give your lives a living sacrifice. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's workmanship created in Jesus for good works. And here's the kicker. Here's the, I can't hit this too hard. Is this Scott's like new toy? It is? 
Oh, so cute. So um, here's the kicker, right? This verse, this one little verse in Mark chapter 9, verse 49. Mark 9, 49. Write this one down. Let it mess with you a little bit. Mark 9, 49. Mark 9, 49. Every, the verse says this. Everyone will be salted with fire. Okay, right? So everyone will be salted with fire. Let's talk about that for a second. Why do we salt things? Yes. Right? Now listen, the steak on the grill is good, but what happens when you salt it? Oh, some of y'all are getting, you're mad, you're getting hungry for brunch. I can see it. I can see it. I'm sorry. So... But we salt things to draw their flavor out. Now, do a deep dive, but even in the time that Jesus is speaking, salt makes, thing, salt makes bland things taste better. Amen. Salt is a preservative. Salt can be used as an agent of healing. Salt is and was a valuable commodity. Salt is all of those things. That helps understand why Jesus, in in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you are the salt of the earth to the people listening. You're the salt of the earth. Salt does all those things. Now, fire, oftentimes, so you're salted with fire. Fire often represents suffering and pain. Fire was used to refine metals. Fire was used to burn up sacrifices on the altar. You will be salted with fire. So here's, here's the kicker. The pain, the trauma, the adversity, the suffering, the chaos, all of it in your life and my life can work together to make you a savory saint to the world around you. A savory saint to the world around you. Why do you think people are hungry for God? Hungry for the truth. Because the world is so bland. We've had enough bites of the world to know this is garbage. This is garbage. We want more. We want, I think at base, we want salty, sanctified saints to point us back to the creator to bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus. That's the chief end. And we will be salted with fire. The believers in Acts, right? You guys are in Acts. They're different. They're different. They were sanctified, set apart, savory, right? And when the world around them looked in on what was going on, the world was like, I need some of that. I want some of that. And there were thousands of people coming to know Jesus day after day, right? You've read that. You've seen it now for a year, however long you've been in Acts. These people were coming, the church was expanding, and people were being sanctified because they were savory, right? They were savory. So what, what is it that we take from this? Why suffering? Why suffering? Here's, here's really the kicker, and I don't want to fly through this because this is why it's important. Why suffering? Well, because your story really matters your pain your grief those things 
really matter. They all have an unbelievable purpose. Your suffering has a purpose. Your suffering makes you savory. Revelation 12, 10, and 11. So getting all the way to Revelation now. 12, 10, and 11. It says this, I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God, the authority of his Messiah, the accuser of our brothers and sisters who's been accusing them before our God day and night has been hurled down and says they have triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink back from death. By the blood of the lamb, by the work of Christ, and by the word of their testimony. That is your story. Amen? That is the amazing story of how God has brought you through time and time again. Through every trial, every suffering, every trouble, he has provided, he has sanctified, he has blessed, he has answered prayer. That's your testimony, right? That's the savoriness of your life. And there is a very real temptation, as evidenced in how we all felt about a sermon on suffering. There's a temptation to look at the pain and to push it back. Or to push God back and say, I, not right now. I can't. And I think there's probably time for that. But oftentimes, a season turns into a decade. And we push God away because we can't take it. We're only human. That's very real. So, but the, the encouragement is, be careful that you don't short-circuit the process by pushing it away. Pushing it away. Not to say that we have to go looking for it. Believe me, it'll find you. But to say that you are savory. In my life, I've seen this reality over and over again. Here's what I would say to you. The, the most painful, difficult parts of my own life have become the most powerful parts of my life as well as a testimony, right? So in my own life, uh, through ministry, through chronic disease, through other problems, right? Those issues have allowed me space at people's tables where I then get to glorify God and hopefully, I would hope, get to give them a savory meal of the coming kingdom, right? Not a bland whatever, not a bland, what's really bland? Cracker of, yeah, like a rice cake? Ugh. <laughs> uh, you know, and I, I think about that sometimes. Can I go take a tangent for a second? But I think about that sometimes. Think about it like this, right? If you showed up to the Grand Canyon, let's say you go to the Grand Canyon today. You go to the Grand Canyon, and you show up at the trailhead, and some 22-year-old whatever in a Patagonia vest comes running down, not that there's anything rad about that, but running down, and they're so excited to see you, and they're like, 
let's go on the trail. And you're like, and you're like, it's my first day. And you're like, oh man. And then behind them, you can see this like grisly, old, bearded, prospector looking person. And he's like spitting into a can. And he's like, I'll take you. And you're like, how many times have you been down here? He's like, my whole life. <laughs> and you're like, I'm going with that dude, right? Because there's something about this example I'm telling you, right? right? All metaphors break down. Don't, <laughs> don't think about it too much. But in this example, right, this person's life and process and experience has made them a trustworthy guide that we would look at and we would say, I'm going with that person. And similarly in our faith, right, we may be tempted to say, I can't take any more, no more pain. But if I may, God is expanding your faith. God is sanctifying you. He's making you savory. So here's a few Specific encouragements. The first, trust the process. It's a long one. Trust the process. It's a long one. I don't know that I need to say much about that. I think we all get that. The second point, maybe more difficult, is lean into your story. Lean into it. Don't push it away. It is on some level a gift to you. And I say that with a lot of humility. I don't, some stories are so horrible that it might sound offensive for me to say it's a gift to you. I'm not, I'm not trying to minimize how bad things can be. But get help if you need help. Seek counsel. Pray with trusted friends. Again, these are all the things we could be doing normally, but oftentimes suffering supercharges that process. So suffering does expand faith. There will be very real opposition to the process, to the building project. So you got to know that. And then lastly, trust your purpose to glorify God, to share your story with others, because I'll say it again, your story really does matter. It really is powerful. It really is powerful. And finally, a verse from 1 Peter 5, 2, or 10. Peter, who knew a little something about suffering himself, and in his epistles, his letters in the Bible, we see kind of a older disciple who's been through it, trying to encourage the church. And he says this, The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. He has a plan, and I pray that we would trust him. So that's all. Let me, let me pray for us. And um, Scott usually gives a benediction, right? Mine will be, have a great day and <laughs> um, go be salty. Um, Jesus, thanks for letting us talk about you today. Um, thank you for being with us. Thank you for the process that you've had us in. And um, 
as individuals in the room, God, there is a unbelievable variance of different things we experience. God, we know that you've seen it all. We pray, God, that you would encourage us, um, strengthen us, make us strong in the, in the, through the process as you build your church, as you build us individually, as you build our families, um, as you help our marriages, as you help us to be mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. Ah, please be with us, Lord. Pray for the Morgans. Pray you'd be with them. Encourage them in this time. And God, we do thank you. Um, as hard as it is to say at times, we thank you for the adversities we have faced. We thank you for what you have taught us through them. Um, and we pray, Jesus, that you would be that potter that we need. Don't let us explode. Um, don't fill us so much that we pop, but be kind and tender as we know you are. You're gentle and lowly. And God, I pray a blessing over Missio Day. God, I thank you for this church and for its testimony in this specific, um, what is this called, a strip mall, um, on this specific road to this specific community. I watch people come out of here every day, in and out, that are encouraged, that are seen, and what an amazing ministry, what an amazing opportunity this church has embraced. We thank you for that, Lord. Uh, we pray your kingdom come and your will be done in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for coming, y'all. Have a good afternoon, and um, I'll see you again sometime.